this series called Blessed. And this morning, I think, is going to be the last message. I've entitled it Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, I'm Yours. Now, some of you are old enough to appreciate that. In our first message in this series, we talked about God's first action towards man was to bless him, not curse him, not punish him. He wasn't angry with him. He didn't stand back and say, oh, rats, wish I would have done that. Wish I would have changed this. It, it was perfect. God's masterpiece and the first words out of God's mouth were and God blessed them in the second message we talked about the Hebrew word for bless which means to kneel and we found out that God himself kneels before man with his hand extended and full of gifts in the third message, we talked about how that it's not original sin, but original blessing that frames our foundation of all that we believe and our relationship with God. Indeed, we're image bearers. The reason we are on this planet is to bear the image of God. When I look at you, I'm looking at God. I think I might have had slides on these and just didn't think about it. So God's first action was to bless them. Barak, the Hebrew word for God kneeling or for bless, which means God kneeled. It's not original sin, it's original blessing. And then today, you all know this word, right? It's a Greek word. What, honey? Perichoresis. Think of it this way. The word peri dash K-O just think K-O and then dash rhesus with a long re sort of like Reese's peanut butter cup. Somebody in the back. Yes, my favorite. So perichoresis is the way that you pronounce this. This word is so, so rich and it deserves, it deserves an entire series talking about it. It means God's mutual indwelling. Now, here's an image that was painted depicting perichoresis. Here's another one. Isn't that beautiful? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how they relate to one another. This perfect mutual indwelling that's like a swirling or dance together. I love that. 
And the beautiful thing about this divine dance is that it's not static. In my previous efforts to explain the Trinity, I know some of you also have used H2O to explain water, a solid, and then gas. Water being maybe a type of God, a solid being a type of God, the Father, and then the gas being a type of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the problem with that, though, is even that, it's static. Our best efforts, it's, it's like putting each, each of those things in a jar, setting three jars out before you and saying, here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, and take the God jar and put it on top of Son and Holy Spirit. Oh, and be sure Jesus is in the middle, you know, God the Son, he's on top of the Holy Spirit. So you got God, you got the Son, or the Father, excuse me, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Static, hierarchical, and nothing could be further from the truth about perichoresis. Nothing could be further from the wonderful relationship that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have together. Their relationship together is a mutual indwelling where they make space for one another. And then in this beautiful dance, indwell one another move in and out, are self-sacrificing towards one another. They've never had a disagreement. They've never been violent toward one another. They've never been proudful. They're always giving this beautiful, mutual indwelling of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that perichoresis prevents us from thinking of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as hierarchical. Because that one thought about the Trinity leads to so much bad religious dogma. Including human relationships and specifically that of marriage. Jesus gave us the language for perichoresis in John chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17 where he talks about how that he is in the Father and the Father is in him and then we are in them and they are in us and the works, Jesus said this, the works I do, you will do because I go back into the Father and the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to indwell you and enable and empower. See, there's this beautiful divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this mutual indwelling that you have been invited into. You now, because of what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, have been brought into this mutual indwelling. God lives in you. You live in him. Christ is in us. We are in him. We are the Holy Spirit's temple. And greater works than Jesus did shall we do. And so when we talk about our purpose on this earth, it is quite simply to glorify God and to bear his image to everybody we come into contact with. Now to me, that doesn't sound like punishment, judgment, God's keeping track, God's trying to find people doing wrong. 
You know what I mean? It's completely, completely self-sacrificial, completely giving. You know, this term, perichoresis, was actually used as far back as Origen, one of the early church fathers, who was born in uh, 184 A.D., lived till 253 A.D. It was also used by John of Damascus, who was born in 676, lived for about 75 years. This is not new. This is some, not some newfangled doctrine we're talking about. Perichoresis, at the very heart of it, is the nature of our loving Father. And it's provided to us, given to us, we experience it best. We experience it most beautifully and powerfully in, in, in reality through the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit came to bring us into this reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perichoresis. When I think of the word blessed, I don't know about you, but I, I think of it in these terms, and this would be a common definition of blessed. A special favor, special mercy, some sort of benefit given by God, invoking God's favor upon a person. I'm going to bless you, see. Invoking God's favor. And always blessings have had to do with approval. So when you say, may the blessing of the Lord come upon you, it's like, well, may God's approval, may God's favor come upon you. But now watch yourself, because if, if you don't live right, God's favor will lift, God's blessings will leave. Who am I talking to this morning? <laughs> is anybody, huh, does this, this has been my common understanding of the word blessed. Have a blessed day. What are we saying when we say that? Well, in general, we're telling somebody, hey, we hope that you experience every favor in every area of need, right? If you live right, <laughs> if you read your Bible, if you pray enough, if you... And so it becomes this transactional relationship that religion has taught here in the Western world that is the foundation of what we believe. If I do this, God will do this. It's even entered in to our, quote, salvation, the salvation message. If you believe and if you confess, then God will save you. If you believe and if you confess, God will forgive you. Well, what if you don't believe? What if you don't confess? Well, you're going to hell. And so there's this transactional relationship to our religion that's very detrimental and has nothing to do with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or perichoresis. Would you join me in a Bible text, as I read it, found in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Let's look together. Ephesians chapter 1 and starting in verse 1. You there? Now for our live stream audience, I realize I need to be over here by the television so that you can see this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And would you please notice the tense of this word. What do we call that tense? Past. He has blessed. Yeah. Which means what? Then why do we work so hard to please God? Why do we feel like we have to earn his favor? Why do we pronounce blessings as though they're conditional? When you say God bless you, do you ever feel like, well, boy, I wonder though if they're living right. Should I say that to them? Have you ever wondered if you're in an office and you hear somebody sneeze and you say, God bless you, and then you stop and you think, hmm, he's not going to though if they're not living for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's this whole transactional Christianity religion world of our Western thinking. My Bible says, Paul declared, here's Paul's gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're going to keep reading verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Keep this in mind, this word before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What was that plan? to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on the earth. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained, past tense, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This passage talks about three specific blessings that it calls heavenly blessings. Now I've seen individuals, read after individuals, who have expanded that and found six or seven different blessings in this passage. That's okay. I'm going to narrow it down to three and I'll give you the first one here. In Christ. Verse 4 says that in Christ we experience perichoresis. We experience our salvation. We experience this great grace of God. This is that verse from the mirror translation. Verse 4, he associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. What's that mean? It's not just the foundation or creation of the world or universe. He founded us in Christ before Adam fell. Why is that important? God found you in Christ before he lost you in Adam. God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. Oh, that ought to be a banner. I love that. That's Francois Dutois from the mirror translation of the Bible. I thought while I was reading Francois's notes here on verse 4, I thought, well, you know, I'd love to put all of those up in a slide. And um, it's, the notes are a little bit long, and there just isn't, there's a lot of them. So if I could engage you to just listen as I read Francois' note, on verse 4 or regarding verse 4. Listen to this. Your in Christness is not the result of a lucky draw. Your in Christness is not the result of a lucky draw. Calvinism lied to you. Neither is it the result of your choice to follow Jesus. Something doesn't become true by popular vote or by our beliefs. If it wasn't true to begin with, we're wasting our time trying to believe it to be true. Faith happens to you when you encounter the good, the good announcement of God's doing we are in Christ. For evangelical theology to miss this meaning of mankind's inclusion in Christ before they knew it or believed it is to completely miss the point of the death of Jesus, his descent into hell, and the resurrection. 
This would make Jesus irrelevant and reduce the salvation of the human race to their own fate managed by institutionalized religion, attaching more sentimental value to an historic Jesus who died and rose again. By dying our death as fully God and fully man, once and for all, not for a select few, death became the doorway whereby Jesus would enter into our hell and the deepest darkness and sense of lostness and loneliness as a result of the lies we believed about ourselves to triumphantly lead us out as his trophies and relocate us face to face with the Father of the universe. And all of this happened while we were still dead in our trespasses and our sins. Did you get that? Your in Christness is not the result of a lucky draw. Something doesn't become true by popular vote or by our beliefs, or you're believing it. If it wasn't true to begin with, then we're wasting our time trying to believe it. <laughs> Francois is going to be in California, not physically in California, but by virtue of uh, Skype. He's joining us at our conference at the end of this month, live. The second blessing that Paul mentions that we have is that we are ransomed and that we are forgiven. Here's the mirror translation of that verse. Since we are fully represented in Christ, his blood is the ransom that secures our redemption. His forgiving us our sins measures the wealth of his grace. See, in Western tradition, divine honor has been offended. Divine law court sits in judgment. And we as humanity are muddled in mistake. Remember last week we said, it's not about original sin, it's about original blessing. But religion teaches you it's all about original sin. And so we as muddled humanity in our sin are constantly trying to reach towards God who really is in a divine law court ready to judge and punish sin because he's been offended. What a distortion. When we see this heavenly blessing in verse 7, since we are fully represented in Christ, his blood is the ransom that secures our redemption. His forgiving us of our sin was the measure of his grace. Do you realize that the entire sacrificial system of ancient Israel was built on this tradition of a law-giving God who punishes, who's been offended by sin, and now we have to give sacrifices to make up. Interesting. 
Did you know that animals were never subjected to a vicarious death penalty in the Old Covenant? That was never the purpose of the sacrificial system, to subject animals to a death penalty. In fact, blood was a gift from God to cleanse the sanctuary and maintain a heaven-on-earth reality for them at that time while they lived in an unredeemed world. Now, I did not know this. Watch. Here's a fact about that sacrificial system. There is one and only animal that had, it, had sins confessed over its head in that Levitical system. Out of all the different sacrifices, there was one. It involved an animal. The high priest would take the animal, lay his hand on the animal's head, and confess sin. But even in that Levitical ritual, that animal, you can read it on your own, does not get killed. They released it out into the wilderness and ran it off. What a beautiful picture. Christ paid for our sins. There was no penalty. There was no, I should say, there was no punishment. There was no violence. There was no exacting blood for a bloodthirsty God. That's a pagan idea of sacrifice. And it carried over, of course, into our religion. Now, um, there is a theologian from the East, Western, Eastern Europe, excuse me, whose name is N.T. Wright. And he's a prolific author, prolific theologian, and he's written prolifically. He's, he's written profoundly about the cross and the atonement. N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors one of my must-reads, especially if you're going to understand the atonement. Now, all of this is going back to our theme this morning about the Holy Spirit, because here's what I want to promise you. If you do not understand these first two heavenly blessings, you will not be able to freely operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit. this beautiful blessing of God's Holy Spirit. So, regarding the second heavenly blessing that we are ransomed and that we are forgiven, I'm going to ask you to indulge me once again as I read. And this time I do have slides because it was just that important for you to see the words. Let's follow along from N.T. Wright regarding atonement and forgiveness and ransom. The New Testament is not about souls going up to heaven, but about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. About the new creation already symbolized in the wilderness, tabernacle, and brought into reality by the royal priest, Israel's ultimate representative, the Word made flesh. And this isn't just a matter of adjusting some nuts and bolts of what we say and think about our ultimate future, about God's ultimate future 
What we say about the future plays back at once into how we conceive the problem to which the cross and the resurrection are the God-given solution. If we are simply thinking about our souls going to heaven, we quickly shrink the human vocation to be the image bearers, the royal priesthood, into mere morality. Morality matters vitally, but it matters because it is the byproduct of being image bearers, summing up the praises of creation rather than worshiping and serving the creature. Morality matters because only through true image bearers will the rescuing divine justice flow out into the world. But if we focus on morality, listen now, if we make our religion about do's and don'ts and morality, all right, and law and keeping and behavior modification, if we focus on morality, making the knowledge of good and evil the fruit around which we construct our theological menu, then we turn the whole large drama of creation and new creation into a self-centered play about me and my sin and what God's going to do about it. And with a great deal of Western theology, we then reread Genesis and all that follows, not as the story of the temple and the image, but as the story of humans failing an exam, deserving punishment, and the punishment eventually falling elsewhere. And though there is indeed truth within that shrunken narrative, the truth of the cross is so vast and deep that it shines out still even from our distortions. If we put that little moral equation at the center, we will never understand what the Bible as a whole, what Jesus as a whole, was and is all about. Oh. Dear ones, please, do not just read your Bibles. Read after men and women who write about these precious scriptures who God has called to the ministry of revealing and unveiling scripture. So the first blessing that we spoke of this morning was that we are in Christ. The second blessing is that we are forgiven. We've been ransomed. The penalty was paid. And the third blessing is found here in Ephesians. We're not going to read all the way through 14, but in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Look at this, to unite all things in him, things on heaven, things on earth, and so the third heavenly blessing is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, now I want to get into what this is really all about when it comes to this divine dance. Uh, Jeff, would you please? I want to take you back for those of you that are old enough and for those of you who aren't. <laughs> enjoy it anyway, please. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Go ahead. I went and stayed too long I'm wondering if 
So, how do you, how, how can you know for sure God's given you every heavenly blessing? How can you know for sure that you are, that you've been placed into this divine dance of the perichoresis? How can you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you've been ransomed, that God's not mad at you, that there is no more punishment, no more punishment, that God's a good, good father as the song goes. Good, good father. How can you know that? Yeah, if you live a few years, you learn a few things. But no, I'm sorry, that's not scriptural. <laughs> In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In him, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believe that, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. The last vehicle you purchased, you were given a certificate were you not? Something that proves you now are the owner. How many of you own a home? Then there's a certificate that says this home is yours. Signed, sealed, <laughs> and delivered. Well, how can you know how can you know God is good? How can you know he's ransomed you? How can you know you're forgiven? Because the Holy Spirit is your guarantee. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings us into that divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He takes our life and he places us in the life of the Trinity. Now, again, that might just sound like religious talk, but here's the point. The more you put to death, I mean just deny and don't give place to thoughts that God is angry, that he's punishing, that he's after you, those kind of things. All that religious notion that you have to you have to enter into this transaction in order to get God's approval. The more you put those thoughts to death and you become mindful of the fact that you are now in God's presence. You are now sharing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The more mindful every moment of every day that you are, that you live now in the heavenly blessing. Now I know Jesus is coming again. We believe that. We believe he's coming bodily again to finish the full salvation and to take us to heaven. <laughs> I think we're going to be surprised what that means.
We believe that Jesus is returning. But what about now? What about every day? What about when I'm at work? What about when I'm driving the kids to school? What about now? Some of you are beginning a career. Some of you are tired of your career. Some of you have retired, retired from a career. We're at different levels. Are we just waiting to go to heaven? Is that our ultimate goal? No, a thousand times no. We're not waiting to experience heavenly blessing. We're not waiting to experience God, his love, all that he has for us. It's been given to us already. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours now. And we access it through this wonderful guarantee of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One day Jesus was approached about paying taxes. And uh, of course taxes meant honoring the Roman ruler. And so they were trying to catch him in a trap. Jesus, you claim that God is Lord and King. To whom should we pay taxes? You remember this conversation. Here's how Jesus responded to his disciples. Who? Show me a denarius, one of their coins, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they answered. So Jesus told them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. He intentionally asked for that coin because he wanted them to consider the image and the inscription on it. This was a lot more than an answer about paying taxes. He was telling them about what the rest of their life was going to be like as they recognized that they are the very image of God that God has inscribed his life, his blessing upon them. And as of that moment, they hadn't yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, my time on earth is, is coming to a close. I'm going to leave and I'm going to send another comforter who's going to indwell you. He will be with you, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will teach you, but most of all, he's going to take your body and turn it into a new temple for God to dwell in. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee that everything God is and has promised is yours. Could we just take a minute? I want you to focus your mind off of whatever you might be thinking about. Your busy day, the football game, who you're going to meet after church, lunch. Did you leave something on at home? Oh, I forgot this. Boy, I'm not looking forward to seeing that person. Oh, this week's gonna be busy. Could you just right now take your mind off of all the other things and put it right where it belongs 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Not a hierarchy, a divine dance, a divine movement. And now they brought you into it. You say, I'm not worthy. Jesus made you worthy. You say, well, I still have sin in my life. He's forgiven it. Your sin has nothing to do with what he did already for us on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, sin is not an issue. It's about original blessing, not original sin. Right now, take, put your mind, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes so that you can focus. I want you to put your mind on the Holy Spirit. He loves you. He's here. You are delivered. You are forgiven. You are ransomed. Every blessing is yours. He's not waiting for you to get good enough. 